Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So Adelaide Fringe, as the second largest open access arts festival in the world, second only to Edinburgh Fringe, <laughs> is a pretty amazing beast. So comparatively, Edinburgh Fringe has just over uh, 3,000 events, I think, and last year Adelaide Fringe had just under 1,200. So we're imagining that in 2018 we'll crack 1,200 events. So it's 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 a little over a third of the size, but it's uh, it feels just as big at times. Um, so we have, uh, similar to Edinburgh, a lot of major venues that operate. Um, like Assembly or uh, Underbelly or Pleasance, um, we have our own kind of brand of those sorts of big hubs. A lot of them are outdoor venues that pop up during the, the time of the fringe and are not otherwise there. So very similar to the feel of some of those major big fours in Edinburgh. But the kind of work that Adelaide Fringe presents is very similar to Edinburgh. It just has a more Australian flavour. So uh, I guess all the, the people from the UK that come up to Edinburgh Fringe, we have all those people come from all the states in Australia. And um, there's a lot of local work that's made. So about just over 40% of events registered in Adelaide Fringe are made by South Australians, um, which I think is really interesting. So, you know, almost half of the festival is made locally and is produced and presented uh, by local artists which is really exciting so you can definitely get a South Australian flavour or you can see some major international artists come to the festival so the scope of work in the festival is very broad um, and it, it is it is really quite an amazing place to be. I was told when it started it was meant to be um, an alternative to the Adelaide for a festival Correct. And so a, literally a fringe on that festival. Yeah. And do you think it's still got that alternative flavour to it? I think it definitely does. I think um, in the same way to Edinburgh, like I think it has a very similar history to Edinburgh Fringe in terms of, you know, people that just rocked up and couldn't perform in, in the Edinburgh Festival, so they just started a Fringe Festival. I think that there's definitely um, a uniqueness and an independence about it. There's definitely a lot of artists um, doing a really, uh, doing their own thing, being really interesting, being really outside of the box and presenting work that is, is really unique and very Fringe and very unlike. Adelaide Festival. So those two festivals now operate with a very different flavour. What would you say is the primary differences in the flavour then, as you put it? Uh, I would say the size of venues is one okay. thing. Like I think with Adelaide Fringe you can walk into a 20 seat venue and see something that changes your life. And you can walk out of that room 55 minutes later and see the world in a different way. And I think you can do that with Adelaide Festival but you're seeing it with 2,000 other people. Or you experience something that is quite elite. Something that is clearly um, got a lot of bells and whistles it's an expensive production do you know what I mean in, in, where the way you experience Pina Bausch is very different to the way you would experience Betty Grumble um, but both of those things will change your life infinitely um, and so I think the time the place and the kind of the aesthetics of those festivals and the works presented in them affect how you see the world and how you interact with that art and so I think that's what gives friends a really important um, identity is that it isn't about it isn't about big sets big props flashy, flashy lights um, it's about connecting with the artist and the artistic work in a in a somewhat intimate environment. So would you, uh, I'm just trying to work out whether a, a performer at the Fringe would aspire to, I don't want to say progress maybe because that's maybe the wrong yeah. word, but to the bigger venues at the festival or do you think the people, the kind of people that would come to your Fringe would be the kind of people that like doing smaller more intimate spaces and doing less uh, mainstream stuff that you might see at the festival? 
I think a bit of both. Okay. I think there would definitely be artists that are looking at a trajectory that would include major international festivals. And we've definitely seen that happen. Like we've definitely seen artists start in uh, a fringe festival environment and move into the international circuit. Um, but I think there would also be artists at the other end of the spectrum who are there purely to make work for um, people that want to experience something that's different, something that isn't that mainstream uh, audience or, or something that has a, its own time and place and exists only in that space. Um, so I think a lot of the sort of international festivals, they tour work and it is the same. You can see it in Berlin, in New York, in Adelaide, and you will see exactly the same production. Just the colour of the chair that you sit in is maybe a little different, but it'll probably still be a really comfortable velvet seat. <laughs> um, but sometimes you see stuff at Adelaide Fringe and that is the only time that that will ever exist. And it will only exist in that period and that space and that, that one place and time of the artist's kind of headspace almost, you know, and then it disappears and it goes away. And, and I think there are artists that make work specifically for that. They make it to exist only in that time and place and only for that limited amount of people. And then it just disappears and it's gone again. And they start doing something different or writing a new show or um, collaborating with someone else. So there's definitely both ends of the spectrum. And I think there would be artists that do aspire to move into that mainstream world. Absolutely. But I think there are just as many artists that will just spend their artistic career working on work for fringe festivals. Mm. I think I think that's the thing I really like about Edinburgh in particular because I don't see it so much in like smaller festivals around this country is people come up here and go I'm going to create a moment for a month I'm mm. going to do this show and then I'm just going to throw it away and I don't want to tour it or I don't want to take it around because I don't know what the venue will be like yeah and it's quite nice like that um you, do you um so so you guys are open access correct um but you don't have a free fringe correct yeah, and we get that question a lot. Um, uh, the Free Fringe is a really interesting model here, and I think that Adelaide Fringe doesn't have it for a number of reasons. It has been tried by people in the past, although not sort of under any official capacity that the, the festival has kind of governed under its umbrella. Um, but, you know, artists will be artists, and there's always been that moment. But culturally, Australia, um, we, we have a different way of looking at um, money, I think. We're definitely a nation that doesn't traditionally tip. We don't really understand and the idea of giving money, like free means free. And so if you ask $20, someone pays $20. There's a, there's a real culture of um, not getting ripped off, um, knowing what something's worth and, and you know, the fairness of, of a price being a price. Um, so I think there is, um, there is a difficulty within the cultural relevance of a free fringe. Uh, the other thing that we struggle with is that um, culturally, I feel Australians definitely think free is substandard. So they don't quite, they would think that free is not as good as a $20 ticket. So free, free means bad basically. So you're always going to buy an expensive, like the more expensive the product it is, the better it is. There's not that kind of um, ideology around taking a risk, seeing what it's worth and paying at the end. It's, there's definitely a thought process of going, oh, free, oh, whatever, it must be terrible. Whereas if you've got a $20 ticket, you're going to go, oh, well, that's going to be okay. If it's a $50 ticket, you're going to be in for the night of your life, you know? So I think the, the sort of, I think we have a conflict culturally with the way that Australians use and um, spend their money and the way that um, kind of finance in the retail industry, at least, is communicated. Um, so I think, I think the free fringe would definitely, it would have to be communicated really clearly. I think the word free needs to never be used. Mm. If it was ever to be successful, it would be pay what you want fringe mm. um, or pay at the end fringe. Mm. Um, so I think, I think those kinds of words would be really uh, important in communicating to the local audience, knowing that unlike Edinburgh, about 95% of people that purchase tickets in Adelaide are from South Australia. So Edinburgh has a huge tourism market, which Adelaide Fringe is working on and, and we've got a massive campaign here at the moment trying to bring people out um, to Australia and, and we'll continue to do interstate and international kind of audience development campaigns but um, as it stands Adelaide's audience is, is very local um, so you know here I've sat in so many shows with American tourists like I can't tell you how many of them and 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 European tourists and so many people from London I feel like everybody I meet isn't from Edinburgh yeah. so I think there's a real kind of uh, a, a, an influx of tourism and cultures that do understand the world of tipping and and free isn't free and, and that money potentially doesn't um, state something's worth, it's just how much it costs. Um, 
yeah, so I think we, we've got a few cultural barriers to get across. But I think that here, experiencing the model, I've been really excited by it. And I think it opens up um, an accessibility. I think one of the things that Adelaide Fringe um, can do better is working on the um, accessibility of the fringe for low socioeconomic um, kind of standards and, and people who are operating in low budgets. And I think that um, making increasing accessibility to those areas and those people and those communities is really important. Um, and the free fringe or the pay as you want fringe could be a, a really excellent vehicle to enter into, into those communities and, and people that would otherwise not be able to afford a, a 20 or a $30 ticket. Well here, I, I don't know what how many things you've seen and the average price of stuff. For me personally, I try to keep my tickets around five, six pound. And for me, that feels pretty reasonable and it feels like it's not a price too many people out. And I, I quite like it as a round number to be able to say it's five, kind of thing. Yeah. You, you kept saying stuff like 20 or 30 dollars. Now, we talked about exchange rates just before we started, and we won't, we're not gonna say, oh, it's one dollar is worth this, you know, now, because obviously that will fluctuate. Um, how, how much are the average ticket prices? And like, how would you explain to someone who's never been to a, like an Australian Fringe Festival how to price a ticket then in order for it to A, look like the amount that it's meant to be valued at, but B, so they don't price themselves out based on their experience or whatever they're doing? Sure. So um, typically Adelaide Fringe is a lot more expensive than here, definitely. I have I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to a box office and paid five pounds and thought, gee, that's that's unreasonable. Like, why is that five pounds? How are these people surviving? Um, so in terms of the actually... Our so are you, are you comparing prices to Edinburgh or to the Adelaide Festival? Uh, to Adelaide Fringe and Ad Edinburgh Fringe. Okay, sorry. so... So, um, yeah, I think as a, a very similar market, Edinburgh Fringe, you know, Tickets have varied for me between uh, five pounds and I think the most expensive one I've bought is fourteen fifty, mm. um, which for us is still like a twenty six dollar ticket, mm -hmm. which is so cheap, which are at a conversion rate. Um, but in in Australia, so for Adelaide Fringe in twenty seventeen, um, our average ticket price was thirty four dollars seventy two for a full price and $29.08 for a concession price. Okay. So that's obviously the average across the whole festival. Um, so there's some that would be a lot less than that and some that would be a lot more than that, but it's definitely gives you an idea of what, um, what people are paying in that festival. Uh, I think my advice to anyone who's coming to an Australian festival and wants to understand the ticket price would be to find a program online from the year prior to their the year they're looking at and look at what uh, other people doing what they're doing are charging. Um, I think we definitely find at, at Adelaide Fringe that international international artists come out and uh, price themselves too cheap. They're just too cheap and then they can't make money because Australia is really expensive. Um, so, you know, the price of food, the price of accommodation, transport, everything about Australia. And comparatively, Adelaide is cheaper than Melbourne or Sydney, but it's still expensive. So, um, you know, the $35 price point is actually real for you to be able to survive as an artist in that festival. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think definitely ask. I mean, at Adelaide Fringe, we have an amazing artist services team that will answer your phone call and can give you, you know, um, all the st statistics about um, how much, you know, comedians were charging last year. You know, what level of comedian are you at? Is this your first festival? Well, here's an example of someone who did their first festival last year who was from Edinburgh and they charged $25 full price, $22 concession. So then you might be able to go, well, that sounds like I might be able to get that audience. So I think definitely always ask the question, um, especially with Adelaide Fringe. We have a dedicated artist services team that are, are literally there all the time to answer that question for you. So never be afraid to call. And I know that, you know, Perth and Melbourne and, and all of the other fringes around Australia are, are similar and they will always support you to make really good choices. But um, yeah, I would definitely encourage every artist to never undervalue their work. I think um, from street performers right through to, you know, the elite um, opera performances, I think that it is really important that we as a community of creators, makers and, and producers value what we do and why we do it because it is absolutely worth it and, and there is a reason why people continue to come to see live theatre. When you can go and buy a movie ticket, if for a cheaper price, you are choosing to come to a live event for a reason, and I think that should be valued. Um, that would be my other point, is if you are looking at doing a 60-minute show in a Fringe Festival, wherever you go in the world, find out what the cheapest movie ticket price is and never go below that. So that will give you a kind of market of kind of how much tickets are. Like in Australia, if you go to the movies on a Saturday night, you're paying probably $22 full price. So that sort of gives you an, uh, gives you an idea about how much people are willing to pay for a sort of a, a, 
an entertainment event. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, the interesting thing for me about, uh, especially the movement into making online content, is um, if you if you can make something very easily digitally available, it loses it doesn't lose its value, but it makes it uh, something that you can price lower because people know they can get it easier yeah. and that kind of thing. Whereas the thing that you can't make a replicate in that way is a live performance. Yeah. It's almost impossible. I know they're like virtual clubs now, but it's still yeah. almost impossible to replicate a live performance enough that because I get I get maybe thirty thousand days before I die, I can only do a certain number of performances in yeah. that amount of time. So it, it has to be valued higher than, than stuff. So that's, I like that. That's a really nice way of, I'm not thought of uh, ticket prices like, I mean, because to me it still sounds quite high, but that's because of where I'm at mm-hmm. and, and where I live. And so if I, so maybe I should reframe it in my head because it sounds like Adelaide's quite an affluent place from that. But, it, but you've also said that you've got a slight issue with some areas of people not being able to afford that high, high ticket prices. So it is just a case of, it's not that you're, you're a particularly affluent city or anything, it's just a case of that's what people are used to paying. Correct, yeah, okay. yeah. And I think that there's definitely, um, there's definitely an audience and people are used to paying that. And I think um, the, the exchange rate doesn't quite add up. So like if you, if you look at like five pounds, you know, being about $9, just over $9 Australian, but um, the wages, you're earning a little bit more in Australia comparatively to wages here, especially comparative to London wages. And so friends of mine that are doing similar jobs to me in London wouldn't be, the conversion rate wouldn't convert directly with their salaries. So there is a little bit more cash flow in, in Adelaide, not a lot, but a little bit more. Um, so the, the sort of the middle class in, in Adelaide does have a, a, a little bit of a, a sort of dispensable income. Um, and then, you know, like any city, you've got the higher and the lower kind of socioeconomic areas that have varying um, incomes that they can spend. But yeah, so the sort of the conversion doesn't add up. So I would I would not sort of think about, I was using the example earlier of raspberries. <laughs> I went and bought a punnet of raspberries at Sainsbury's for like £1.50 and something like that in Australia would cost you nearly $10. So it just doesn't, there's no, it doesn't add up. So don't be afraid to charge a very decent ticket price in Australia. Yeah, I, I struggle enough to buy fruit in, in Scotland. I think if I go out to Australia, it'll be a month of no fruit and veg for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, well, I, so it's in February every year. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of it runs from the middle of February to the middle of March, mm. um, and that's sort of those dates happen yearly. It's mm-hmm. um, it's been uh, annually for just over a decade now. Prior to that, it was biannually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so every sort of February we have thousands of artists that come down to Adelaide from all over the world and all over Australia and they set up tents and they fill the hostels and and they do everything that they do in Edinburgh and um, yeah we have a good time. So um, why is it at that time of year how does it fit in with other festivals and how long do performers generally do a run at your festival because up here there's sort of that culture of I do a full run or I do a half run or I do a little bit of time here just to test it out. And so is there that culture there or what, what, what do people mostly do? Um, it's, it's every variable option. So okay. um, just to answer your, your initial question, Adelaide happens in February because in the beginning it happened at the same time as the Arts Festival. So it was kind of the fringe of the Adelaide um, festival um, so that it still holds that time frame and, and continues to, to be in that time which is beautiful because it's summer and Adelaide has the most amazing beaches um, of anywhere in the world and I can say that because I've been to a lot of beaches in a lot of parts of the world but Adelaide hands down has the most beautiful beaches and they're really accessible they're literally 12 kilometers from the CBD um, so you can spend the day at the beach and then perform at night in an amazing venue so um, that time of year is actually brilliant because it's hot it's not too hot but it is hot um, you definitely won't need a jacket, and uh, so that's and you two can. Two things that's got over yeah. <laughs> and it won't rain. I yeah. think um, sometimes uh, it might rain once, uh, maybe twice over the fo- like five weeks of the festival. Um, so yeah, so that timing is really good if you wanted to do the Australian circuit. Um, so some people do Perth Fringe World, and they come out uh, in January and go through and work for about four weeks in Perth from late January through to late February. There's about a 10 day crossover with Perth and Adelaide Fringe. Um, And so some people will do a short season at Perth and a long season in Adelaide or vice versa. And then if it's a comedy kind of show or something that you think has comedic content that could work at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, that's sort of the third part of that that tour is a lot of people go on to do um, comedy festival, which runs from the sort of end of March to the end of April. 
Um, if comedy is not your bag, the um, New Zealand Fringe Festival in Wellington happens from sort of the start of March through to the end of March. So some people do like a, a couple of weeks in Perth, a couple of weeks in Adelaide, a couple of weeks in Wellington. Uh, it really depends what your work is and how it happens. There are definitely touring artists that will do four weeks in Perth, five weeks in Adelaide and four weeks in Melbourne and they will make that work and, and that's their kind of yearly circuit. Um, and that can work, but it's a hard slog. Uh, so yeah, I think it, it, there are lots of options within that and there's lots of little things that you can do in between. Like um, there's a, a comedy festival in Brisbane um, and there's things that happen in Sydney afterwards. And so there's lots of kind of little weekend or short stints that happen um, in between those festivals as well that you could look into. Um, but they're the main kind of three that, that the comedy, especially the comedy world will do is Perth Fringe World starting sort of mid-January, coming across to Adelaide mid-February, then going on to um, Melbourne mid-March. Hmm. And, and what's your relationship with the other two festivals either side of you? Yeah, so I spent uh, a decade working at Melbourne International Comedy Festival, having only recently joined the Adelaide Fringe team. Uh, so I like wholeheartedly love it <laughs> and have seen it be really fruitful for a lot of artists. Um, and it's a really nice way to kind of end that circuit. Mm. Um, but again, it is for comedy. So it's not for the theatre makers or the people that are doing something that's quite dramatic or, um, you know, like contemporary dance doesn't work at comedy festival. Um, not that I've seen anyway, I'm sure it's possible. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's if you're in that, um, sort of stand-up or physical theatre or clowning market then comedy festival is great for you um, and then prior to that I've, I've been to Perth Fringe a couple of times I've never worked for them um, but I know that they do some great stuff and the kind of economy of Perth Fringe is quite remarkable given that it's only seven years old and it's already got over 800 events it's um it's a pretty amazing beast and it is growing at an exponential rate um, and there's definitely uh, you know some audiences that are coming out regularly every year to support the fringe and 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 so I think it, it could be a really great option to do those three festivals mm. visa wise which is like quite a, a, an important and tricky situation for a lot of performers especially coming over from England to Australia mm -hmm. is there a visa that covers you for that entire period of time or is it something you'd have to you know hopefully not fly back and then come back and correct yeah. so a lot of artists will um, strategize their tour based on the visa situation <laughs> um, Adelaide Fringe has a dedicated artist services person who specializes in visas for you so um, at this point in time the Australian government has made it viable for the first time to artists for them to get their own previously um, Adelaide Fringe had to um, had to actually apply for and gain the visa on behalf of the artist but as of this year um, the Australian government ha has created a new visa system which allows um, artists in the entertainment industry to come to Adelaide Fringe and um, for a period of three months they can do any sort of arts festival in Australia they can be in Australia for three months working in, in the entertainment industry um, and they can gain that themselves so uh, I'm not 100% sure what Perth and what um, comedy festival do in terms of visa support but we definitely have someone on the ground from late September um, that will be there to answer all of your questions and, and help you in, in gaining access to our country because we understand that um, a program of international artists integrating with Australian artists is really important, not only for audiences, but also for um, artist development and the ability for um, like peer-led progress and for artists in Australia to see what's happening in other parts of the world purely through like a skill-sharing environment. So um, yeah, we definitely put a lot of effort into making sure if you want to come to perform at Adelaide Fringe or if you want to be a support worker, a producer, facilitator, whatever, however you're connected to that production, um, in whatever way you're, you're making that production happening, we will support you to get a visa in some way. Um, obviously, there are some countries that our government currently um, makes it very difficult for people to come in on, whether they're an artist or not. So there is, it's never, a, um, we can never guarantee it will happen, but we'll definitely try our hardest to, to make it the easiest it possibly can be for you to come and perform at our festival. Mm. And, and obviously you're here like looking around at shows and watching stuff. Are you scouting for shows? Do you run shows? Or are you just sort of watching stuff to see if there's anybody who like is applying to come over to help them over? What, what, what's your purpose for being in Edinburgh? Um, I have a few purposes. Um, at, at some points I feel a bit like a travelling salesperson. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm literally walking around. I couldn't imagine why. <laughs> talking to artists and, and just um, spreading the word of Adelaide Fringe basically is why I'm here. So I'm, I'm definitely, um, so I'm, 
I'm definitely seeing shows. I am uh, meeting with a lot of artists. We had a big party last week. We had an info session at Fringe Central. Um, so basically, I, I'm just trying to be an information resource here on the ground. Not only am I learning a lot of things, like we've had lots of meetings with various um, industry personnel here, trying to figure out how other fringes do things that you know we are struggling with or vice versa. Again, that Skillshare thing works not just as artists, but as industry. So I've been meeting with lots of industry. I've been meeting with lots of people that do what I do in other festivals or other countries trying to learn about how they do that their job so that I can sort of you know learn through their processes um, I'm also here uh, sort of uh, yeah basically just spruiking Adelaide Fringe and trying to get artists to know that it's there but also meeting with them to try and tell them all of these questions that you're asking me what venue should I go into how much should my ticket prices be what do you think do you think my work is viable in Adelaide will I find an audience how will I find that audience um, all of those things so we don't curate anything we're a hundred percent open access um, so that means you choose us, we don't choose you. So if you want to do Adelaide Fringe, any artist can do Adelaide Fringe with whatever they've ever thought possible. Um, they can make it happen. They just buy that, you know, they pay a registration fee and that basically buys their way into the promotional aspect of the Fringe. Uh, and then securing a venue, um, all of that stuff is done independently of us. But we can definitely help. So um, I kind of think of it as the glue that holds it all together. So we are supporting the venues and there's a lot of venues here that are looking at work. So I'm also liaising with them and seeing shows and saying hey I think this would work for you or um, I don't think that's right for you but go and see this show I think that's perfect for the German club or, or gluttony or whatever. I'm definitely here in that kind of facilitatory capacity um, but no I'm not buying work or looking to invest in any work specifically in that way. So yeah I, th I think that's going to be a big question a lot of people are going to ask though is is my work going to be viable to travel halfway around the world to, to perform it and uh, obviously you're, you're, you're not going to be able to see every show and you're not going to be able to answer that question for everyone even though I guarantee you'll probably get some emails after this that'll yeah. be like um, can I double check something yeah um, how would you say is a good way for a performer to gauge whether their work will work in a in an Australian market, essentially, um, you know, because like you've, you've spoken about lots of little cultural differences, including like free versus pay, and I imagine there'll be a few people listening who've done the free here, who've had a good run, who may be a bit hesitant about now starting to charge thirty, forty dollars a ticket. Yeah. What kind of criteria would you say is a good checklist for for a performer to go? All right, if it fits these, or if it starts to fill some of these, it would work in Adelaide. Um, look. The number one sentence I've been saying to everyone that has asked me that question is, if you can make it work in Edinburgh, you can make it work in Adelaide. And I think you need to think about what you want out of that process. There are definitely artists that I've gone to see shows of and I, I've said, look, if you want to come and make a bucket of cash in Adelaide, I think there's easier ways. <laughs> um, but if you want to come and, and have an excellent festival, experience um, a new place and a new time, get to know different artists, expose your work to a broader industry, knowing that we have a, an industry program, the Honeypot program, which is specifically um, for buyers, producers, and venue operators all over Australia and the world. We have about um, you know 170 delegates came out uh, this year, and we'll increase that for 2018. So there's a lot of a lot of industry seeing your work as there is here. So in terms of uh, thinking about why you would want to come to Adelaide is really important. Um, there are a lot of comics slash artists slash a lot of people who make buckets of cash in Adelaide and that's their primary objective for being there. But I would absolutely recommend if that is your objective, come out and see the festival first. Don't, don't put all your money on the table without seeing it. Come and do a recce, figure out what it is and then come back and make your buckets of cash. But if you're an artist that's like hoping to make a bucket of cash but that's not the end of the line, if the end of the line is actually about audience development and artistic development and um, being able to travel to the other side of the world and see the world in a different way or, or um, uh, experience a different marketplace or sell your work to a broader industry. If, if all of those things are part of the end of the line, including making about a bucket of cash, then I would say come on out, give it a go and, um, and see what happens from there. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that Adelaide Fringe, if, if you can make it work in Edinburgh with 3,000 events, um, then you can make it work in Adelaide. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'm, sh I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who maybe don't have the, the capital to just, just pop out and stuff. Um, although I imagine, I, I mean, are there, are there bursaries? Are there like um, funds that I think you mentioned one there where, you know, you can help people to come out or help people to bring a show out if you feel like it's um, worth supporting, even though you're not obviously commissioning it or whatever, but you're still supporting it, get it, getting out there in a financial capacity rather than just an advisory. Capacity. Yeah. Look, we don't have any, um, we have the Adelaide Fringe Artist Fund, but that is for Australian work. Okay. The way um, I, I understand our government sort of 
funding to be is that they fund Australian work in Australia and they fund Australian work to be taken overseas. What the current uh, sort of financial climate of our, our governing bodies is, it doesn't support international work coming into Australia. So I think my advice to people would be to go to their local councils, go to their local bursaries, go to um, whatever arts funding organisations they know of and ask their locals to support them to take their work internationally. I think that's where the money will come from, but as a festival we definitely don't um, offer any kind of funding or grants for international work to come to our uh, festival but uh, if you're an Australian definitely have a look at the Adelaide Fringe Artist Fund. It opens every year in July, closes in September and it's uh, specifically for Australian made work to come to Adelaide Fringe. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In Edinburgh and in the UK in general there's a bit of a drinking culture and a lot of people come to the festival not to watch art but just to just to enjoy the atmosphere and to maybe have a drink with friends and, mm -hmm. and to kind of just just basically soak up Edinburgh which is yeah. a beautiful city as it is and I, as I'm sure a lot of people do come to Adelaide just to enjoy the, the festival but not as a viewer but as a, as a person that likes the, the atmosphere of the festival. Um, what percentage of people do you think come to, the come to the festival to watch shows and what do you think are the percentage of people that actually just come in just because they are tourists for the city or, or are wanting to just uh, soak up the atmosphere but not actually view shows? Look, I think that the, there is definitely a majority of people that come to see shows. I think there is definitely a percentage of people that do come to um, soak up the atmosphere, especially because it's summer and we have amazing venues that are outdoor and pop-up. So if you can imagine like Assembly George Square um, but with 14 tents in it, um, and a massive footprint against, and there's, there's basically three of those pop-up venues. Um, so where you've got a lot of venues in Edinburgh that are indoors and into, like sort of dispersed across the city, we have three major kind of um, areas that are outdoor, that are pop-up, that are full of circus tents, that have lots of bars and pop-up food vendors. And there are people that go out just to hang out in that atmosphere because it is a really um, unique atmosphere. And they're, they're the people that also are there to experience the street performers, that are there to experience um, a culture that might not be buying a $35 ticket. So there's definitely people that are going out to experience that atmosphere, to have a few beers in the sunshine, um, you know, buy um, a, a meal from a food truck and just sit and soak up the atmosphere. Um, and then from that, there are also people that will buy tickets to go into shows. Um, but like, you know, with the Free Fringe here, there are a lot of um, businesses that operate through making money off the bar. And I, I, I don't know the economics of those venues, but I know that a part of their profits and the sustainability of their business model comes from running those bars. So um, one of the jobs that I have to do is make sure that there's enough venues for all of the artists and part of that is making sure that the venue operators we already have operate in a sustainable way. So without them we would lose all of those venues and then artists wouldn't have venues and so then the venues that we did have would hike up their prices because there'd be you know uh, a demand in the market and they could charge it and then the, everyone's going to lose out. So I think as much as you look at it from a sort of um, those venues aren't supporting the independent artists 
breakfast and people are just coming out to drink and 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 that's not good enough I think that it's it's it, there's a much bigger picture at play here and the bigger picture at play is that you know these these people are, are there to a make money as many people are um, but we need to they are also there to support the artists and to operate venues and to provide a place for artists to perform and we need that um, and they need to make money otherwise they won't come back so it is it is an economic you know it is a business and I think we have to look at the arts as a business um, and uh, we will continue to support um, people that are performing in small to medium venues and we will continue to challenge some of those big key players like the big four here to offer small spaces for cheap prices but I absolutely believe that um, drip feeding does work that if you have someone who's bringing in a thousand people to a tent that's paying $45 a ticket and they have a good experience that they're more likely to come back and pay $20 for a ticket in a 20 seat venue two days later because they've had a good experience. I absolutely believe that it does work and we need those big key players and those big venues and the big kind of beast of operating you know in, in a relatively commercial market to support the independent artists at the bottom um, because those those people are part of the audience development strategy that we have and um, I've definitely seen it work at other festivals and, and I know that it's a, a necessity um, and I do believe that the majority of audiences come out to see art they don't come out to drink beer. Um, because also there's that here where yeah. people sort of say well the big four are just after making money on the bars and it, it's, it's just worth I think identifying that yeah. Um, yeah. because personally it's show business there's yeah. got to be a business end of it yeah. that isn't just the show part yeah. and so you know for me I'm like well yeah it makes sense that the business would sell drinks yeah. and would make money restaurants do it all the time they make most of their profit on you know things so from yeah. my perspective it's like yeah it makes sense but I can understand if you're a, a purist mm -hmm. or if you're someone who you know is sort of um, I, I go to festivals to try out ideas and do my art yeah. and stuff I don't maybe want drunk people in or whatever yeah. I can understand that being a a problem in their mind as well. Correct. Yeah. And I think then you just have to choose the right venue. Yeah. Um, which might which be another yeah, yeah another question to kind of talk about is actually like how do you how do you deal with drunk people in audiences uh, and that comes to finding the right venue and yeah. the right time slot. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely comedians that want audiences to have access to beer mm. that want a 10 o'clock slot because they know yeah. their audience would have had four or five beers mm. there are audiences that want a six o'clock slot because they know their audience is going to be relatively dry mm. and and not have that kind of um, sort of they're not quite as uh, lubricated <laughs> as mm. other audiences so I think it's about choosing the right venue and the right time well, so even when you just said that there would the locals because like you said it's like quite a lot of local people that come out would the locals be at work during this festival Yes, so that's the biggest difference between Adelaide Fringe and Edinburgh Fringe is that Edinburgh operates from like the morning through to the night, yeah. through to the early morning even. Yeah. Um, so you know you've got like 18 hours of this mm. festival operating daily. Adelaide Fringe is not like that. So that's probably somewhere where international artists go wrong is that they they you know pick a two o'clock time slot and it just there's no one around. Mm. So Adelaide is working. Um, it's a very working class city. And so, and, and again, coming back to that stat where we have such a minimal amount of tourists, you have to expect your audience to have been at work from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 5, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever is happening in between that time frame. So, uh, you know, I would definitely recommend doing a show between 6 and 10. That would be your window. Like the sort of the really good time slots I feel at the moment are like 7.30. Once you get to 8.30 and beyond, it's a late show. Um, but like there's a lot of people who finish work at five in the city that want to catch a six o'clock show and go to dinner after. So six o'clock isn't a bad time slot. Um, but yeah, definitely you're, you're able to come to Adelaide and spend the days at the beach, chilling out, doing whatever you need to do. And you won't be doing spots. You won't be doing five spots a day. Um, you won't be, you know, that, that just doesn't exist. So, you, you know, you might do it two late nights spots um, on a Friday and a Saturday night but really that's kind of your key time is between 6 and 10 p.m. start times um, on the weekends obviously Friday Saturday nights there's late shows but um, if you're doing the full run or a half run yeah that's that's your time frame so do they expect something different from a late show then um, do they expect something different from a late show is a very good question I, I would Yes. So as an audience member, I would definitely expect when I'm seeing a show at 11.45 or midnight, it's going to have different content to what I'm seeing at 7 o'clock. Um, but again, there's different things, like especially as you get to the end of the festival when people are putting on extra shows. Um, I think, it, yeah, it, it, 
it depends on the show, but I would definitely think that late shows would have a different flavour. Okay. Yeah, because here I, I've seen some late shows that are very family friendly and very nice, but it's just because that's time slot they got. But I presume with yours, you would kind of advise if you're, I don't want to say edgy or risky, because those are such weirdly loaded words now with, with no you know, sort of backing to them because everyone's got their own definition. Mm -hmm. But if we said people that wanted to talk about um, potentially more controversial things, later in the day is better because I assume does it do, do families come out to the shows or is it mainly yeah. like working just like people and families definitely do but they come out on the weekends okay so Monday to Friday during the day is pretty quiet I think there's a couple of our venues that run kids shows on a Friday um, for families that maybe don't have kids at school etc or for the tourist market um, but yeah generally weekends people come out on weekends for kids shows or family kind of shows but um, and during the week families do come out as well um, but it's it's uh, less likely because you know their kids have to get up the next day to go to school so none of Adelaide Fringe runs through school holidays so all of those kids are going to school during the day and you know the majority of the parents are working too so it's a different it's got a different vibe and all of the students are at university so unlike in Edinburgh Fringe when all the students are on holidays and there's like school holidays and you've got like all of the things happening Adelaide doesn't have any of that so it's very much a localized audience that is working. Yeah, well, I, I did a preview on the 1st of August here, and I, literally I did it at 5pm because I thought my show's at 5, I'll keep it at the same time. And lo locals did come because it was yeah. great for some people who do shift work, but people who like sort of are in offices and things, yeah. they all finish at like sort of 5, 5.36, yeah. and they were like, we just can't get out. Like, there's no way we can tell our boss we want to leave an hour early to see a preview of a comedy yeah. show that seemed ridiculous. And I just hadn't thought that through yeah I think arrogantly I thought you know maybe maybe more people are taking time off during the fr mm -hmm. fringe and festival and stuff but obviously locals here they do see they do see a lot but it's mainly later in the day mm -hmm. um, and I think that's that's something new that I'm considering when I'm thinking of time slots because some of the some of my friends who are locals are kind of struggling to come and see me except for at weekends yeah. and I tend to do very well on weekends because everyone does at weekends yeah um, so yeah that's that's really interesting that's still the same thing mm -hmm. that um, and you refer to it as like a working city yeah so what's what does that mean to you does that mean it's like a, a sort of ec economically it's it's quite a yeah, how would you describe what that means? Um, yeah, so that, that means that I think that predominantly the audiences are people that are working. Okay. I mean, we do have a really large percentage of our audience that is retired, that um, are sort of over the age of 60 or 55. Um, they do come out and get involved in stuff. So I think we have, we actually release a matinee guide, which is a separate to our normal guide that lists all of the shows that happen in the afternoon or early evening, specifically for that audience, because there's a lot of them. Um, it's almost a third of the sort of audience base is, a, is an almost retired or partially retired or retired audience so there's definitely a market for that older audience that have a disposable income that are willing to get out and play um, but then the majority of our audience is that kind of like middle middle 20s to mid 30s kind of um, people who are going out to have a good night who are potentially not families yet who are um, definitely have a disposable income um, and and are you know working um, have potentially households that have two incomes um, and and yeah getting out and about but yeah I, I definitely think that um, there's a smaller percentage of our audience that's made up of students or um, people that are not working. Mm. And, and you said uh, want to go out for a night for like to enjoy a night does that mean like in Edinburgh and again I keep comparing it to Edinburgh only because please do you're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. That's, well I mean a lot of festivals don't like being compared to it so when I interviewed um, uh, the Brighton Fringe they said we don't want to be Edinburgh we couldn't handle that many people coming into the city we want to be Brighton we, yeah. but we have a very good relationship with Edinburgh but we don't want to become another one but of course you guys being the second largest it's kind of easier to compare, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, as you know, because you've been here a little while now, um, people go out and see maybe ten, six, eight shows a day, whatever it is they want to go and see. Is that the case of an evening? They would go, well, we'll go see three shows tonight. Or do you think they would go, like you said, I'll see a six o'clock one, I'll go and have dinner, might have a drink in a bar, and then maybe see a late show if I still feel like I can make it out. What, what's kind of in your um, analytics of the ticket sales? What's the, the mindset of most of the audiences? Look, I think that um, there are definitely a percentage of the audience that will see more than one show in a night. Um, I think uh, a lot of people, because... Um, 
You know, transport is a really interesting thing in Adelaide and it affects the way people use the city. So unlike Edinburgh where you kind of can walk everywhere, do you know what I mean? People keep telling me Leith is as far, as far away. And I'm like, but hang on guys, I, I can walk there in 40 minutes. Do you know what I mean? You walk for 40 minutes in Adelaide, you haven't even left the CBD, you know? Like it's like, so there's a, there's a different kind of economy of space in Adelaide. So the way people use the city and the way, and urban sprawl is outrageous. So there's like, you know, you can travel 40 kilometres and still be in suburbia. So people often make a night out and that means that they will come in from suburbia they'll drive their cars in they'll pay for parking they'll pay for dinner they'll they'll sometimes even stay in a hotel overnight because it's easier for them to do that and then they can drink and do all the fun things rather than having to drive home so that's kind of what I mean about a night out like often people might not go out every night and see a show but people will go out once a week and will probably see two shows and have a really nice dinner in between okay yeah, that is that is very different to here. I mean, like you said, everything's pretty much very centralised within about a three-mile radius, which, I mean, for example, straight after this, I've got to go do three spots in an hour, all within the same sort of road, essentially. Yeah. So it's... it's um, yeah, it sounds it sounds like uh, venue picking is quite um, going to be harder to do when you don't live there, especially if it's that spread out. Yeah, um, the festival in itself all operates not all of it, but um, the majority of the sort of the big venues operate in the city, so you can walk between them. But again, you know there would be a, a twenty to thirty minute walk between some of our big fours. I guess, it, I mean, yeah. I don't know what the equivalent would be here, but yeah, so you, you have to allow time between them. Um, but I think it's the audience kind of is how that, that sprawl is affected. The other thing that we have definitely seen an increase in over the last couple of years with Adelaide Fringe is um, a hunger from our audiences to have localised work. So um, little community hubs are popping up outside of the city. Um, so, you know, 10, 15, 20 kilometres out of the CBD where all of the central hubbub is, we're seeing little pockets of, of fringe happening where in, in Instead of the suburban kind of audience member coming in from the suburbs to the city and paying for parking and paying for hotels, they're going to a suburban location that's in between sort of their house and the city where they can get free parking, where they can drive home, where everything's a lot cheaper and easier to navigate. So um, there's definitely room and I would encourage artists to look at the opportunity of maybe doing a half a season in the city and then finishing their season with a weekend in a suburban location or um, looking at trying to move themselves out of that CBD for a period period of time during their season uh, because there's definitely a hunger for that to happen and and the urban sprawl of Adelaide and just the ge geography of the city means that people are really interested in in getting out of the city and the other thing people really need to know that's a difference between Edinburgh and Adelaide is that everybody in Adelaide drives we have public transport but people just it's it's not it's not as easy to get around. You know, if you're coming in from 40 k's out, which is still suburban, mm. you're gonna drive in. So the, the accessibility of car parking and public transport and the viability of that close to your venue is really important. Mm. Um, especially if you've got shows that are attractive to an older audience who might need things like accessible car parks or wheelchair seats and all that kind of stuff. So really think about that and challenge your venue on that. You know, ask them, do you have wheelchair seats available? Can I get a wheelchair into this venue? What is this about? How can I make this happen? Where is the closest car park? All of those things are things that you want to be asking your venue. Mm. And in terms of marketing a show, um, it sounds like a massively different bulk. I mean, here I'm flying for like two to four hours a day. I presume that you're not necessarily because it sounds like people are coming in from outside. So it would be so. It, at best, the best idea would be to go out and then fly and then hope people will come in. But I assume, is flyering culture out there as big as it is here? It's definitely not as big. And I, I should probably clarify that the city does have a lot of people that work in it as well. Okay. Um, they just go home after work. So, right. you know, like on a Saturday night, they're all coming in. There's right. not a large population of people that live in the city. Right. There are some people, but it's not huge. So um, flyering does work, but it's definitely not as um uh, prevalent as it is in this city like you can't walk down a street anywhere um, unfortunately the Adelaide City Council also does restrict it a lot so you can't just stand on any street corner and fly you actually have specific designated flyering zones um, and it's it there's definitely not that that market and I, I think it does come back to the tourism like I think there are a lot of tourists that have a lot of time that are just a bit lost that kind of walk around talking to people flyering we don't have that like people in Adelaide are on a 30 minute lunch break they're going from A to B they're going to the post office they're trying to live their normal life so I think flyering definitely doesn't work as much here so you definitely have to change your marketing strategy um, I would look at trying to find a community of people that you can tap into um, in any way if there's any kind of thematic um, uh, 
draw a card in your show. If there's any way you can find a local that you can connect with to do something uh, about your audiences. Um, you know, we had um, uh, the eulogy. Michael Burgess came out a couple of years ago and did a show. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, his show was basically a, a comedic retelling of a eulogy. And uh, so he came out to Adelaide Fringe two weeks before his season opened and literally cold called and door knocked every possible funeral home in Adelaide. And he spent, you know, a two weeks basically flyering, but flyering very specific audiences and he sold out his season. But he did the groundwork first. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can think about it like that, in terms of standing on a street corner with a flyer doesn't work as well. It can work, but it doesn't work as well as it does in Edinburgh. So you have to get a little bit savvier. Whether it just means that you walk into every hairdresser in Adelaide for the three days before you open your season and offer them all a discounted ticket, or you give them a promotional code, or, um, um, you know, if you're uh, into snowboarding and you can find the Adelaide Snowboarders Association or something and you, you try and find a connection and a community that will give people a reason to come to your show. Um, that's the number one piece of feedback we get from our audiences is that they love the program, the printed program, um, that they find the shows they want out of it, but the hardest thing they find is trying to dissect the information out of it. So if any way that you can kind of help people to realise that your show is one that they would enjoy um, is, is a benefit for everyone. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I did. In, uh, first time I went to Brighton in 2014, I did a show, Buddhism and Cats, and literally I rang around every Buddhist monastery and every cat sanctuary, and like the, the first four shows were just that. And uh, you know, I had Buddhists coming up to me afterwards going, oh, that was really good. And some people go, no, but it wasn't factually accurate. And I was yeah, like, right. that's the joke, guys. Yeah. And like, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was also a little bit like, right, I'm not going to do that in Edinburgh because I don't want loads of Buddhists coming and criticising yeah. it and saying, yeah. well, this is actually not as accurate as I was hoping for. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it was nice because it meant that I had a specific audience already kind of, not pre-made, but you know what I mean? You're tapping into a community. And it sounds like you've got sort of a lot of sub-communities there to tap into, is that? Definitely. Well, I mean, if you think about Adelaide in population comparatively to Edinburgh, we're almost three times the size. So Adelaide has just cracked 1.4 million residents, okay. whereas Edinburgh's just, just under 500,000. So there's a lot more people there and a lot more sort of communities developing that you can tap into. So we're a third of the size, but the population is almost three times as large. So there is definitely audiences there that you can find. You just have to find them um, and people are people are willing to take a risk people are willing to get involved it's just really overwhelming you know like the program is so big and it's only getting bigger and so if you can if you can find a way and often people just want to meet you they just want to meet you and be like oh yeah this is safe you know I know that you're not going to get naked and rub jelly in my face you know they're going to like oh no you're going to tell me some stories for an hour and I, I think that's going to be great I'll invite some friends um, so it's it's definitely worth coming to Adelaide a little bit, like even if it's just two days before your first no first show, um, to really just start the word of mouth. And it's, um, yeah, but I would definitely do some groundwork, make an e-flyer, try and Google some organisations. Even if you have nothing, if you have no connection to anything, find an organisation that has a large pool of volunteers and email them and say, hi, I know that you've got volunteers that work in your kitchen for the homeless. I would like to offer all of them a free ticket. Um, please let me know how many you want. Or, you know, here's a promo code. You can get two for one tickets or, um, you know, try and find a way to really fill those houses for your first two or three shows, exactly like you said about Brighton Fringe, with people that you don't know that would otherwise not be purchasing a ticket. You definitely don't want to be giving away free tickets to your friends that you're going to ask to buy tickets, but you want to be giving away tickets to people who are going to spread the word of mouth, who actually are going to turn up to your show. That's the other thing. You don't, I would absolutely discourage people pulling a bunch of paper tickets and standing and giving them away on the street because it comes back to that, that value, you know, and, and people won't value your work then because they're like, oh, well, you just gave it to me for free. It must be terrible. So if you can actually say, no, I want you to email me I want you to email me and tell me your name and how many tickets you want and the night you want to come you've started an investment so that person's thought about it they've gone yep actually he was a nice guy I think I'm going to go and see his show and I'm going to email him and then you can email them back and say here's your ticket link I'd love to see you there also here's all my social media and my invite if you want to spread the word so you've got an instant connection to that person rather than you just giving them a ticket on the street and they, they have no investment in it they don't really know who you are they'll probably not come so you really want to make sure that those people that you're offering those tickets to in the first very important shows of your season are people that are actually going to come that are invested in you who are going to spread the word of your show. And uh, do you have competitions taking place during the festival? Because often here, if you get nominated, for example, for the newcomer, immediately, usually the end of your run, 
is sold out because everyone's like, oh, who's that, who's that? Even if we know who they are, we're like, oh, I haven't seen them, I'll go see their show. So do you have competitions that help sort of break down the, the barrier for people to be able to quickly see, oh, that's a quality bit of work, I'll go and see it? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, Adelaide Fringe is definitely built on word of mouth. So um, our awards program is part of that, but also it's just you provide a good experience, people will come. Uh, and so there's so many people like Edinburgh that are like, they want to see the next big thing. They want to, they don't want to miss out. So if someone's seen a show that they think is good the night before, they'll go and see it the next night if they've been told it's good. So um, it, it, word of mouth is the, is the real primary resource of getting bums on seats for your show. Um, but I definitely, going back to my earlier point, I wouldn't be giving out free tickets for your whole run. Do you know what I mean? You're just looking at that very early specific time where you're inviting people to come. And, and ideally, you'd be offering them a discount rather than a free ticket. Um, but yeah, so Adelaide Fringe does have an awards program. So you opt into that in the AVR. The AVR is what we've, we call our artist and venue register. Um, it's a digital platform that we've built specifically for artist registrations and it has all the information you need on it. Um, there's resources and there's an artist magazine which has heaps of information in it that I recommend everyone downloads and has a look at. Um, but on the AVR you click a box to say that you'd like to be considered for the Adelaide Fringe Awards. Um, there's a few eligibility criteria on that um, so just double check that you kind of meet those criteria but most people would. Um, and then from that you, you would have a judge come to see your show if not more than one um, and then you'd go into you know the process of, of the awards program. We operate on a, a weekly award structure so we, we award weekly awards for all of our categories and then at the very end of the festival we have a, 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 our awards program so I guess the weekly awards are kind of in, in some ways like the nominations here but they're not a nomination they are award in their own right but they're an audience development tool as well so they're there for us to be able to communicate to Adelaide audiences that we believe this is a quality product and that the industry delegates who have been chosen to judge the fringe believe that is a quality product and is really uh, a great um, thing that people should see. Um, these are the last quick fire questions. Yeah. Um, so I ask every guest these. Quick fire for me, you take as long as you need to answer them and stuff. Um, okay, so uh, what do you think, is, sorry, we'll start with this one. Who do you think is the most underrated person in the comedy industry? I'm not going to name a person. I'm going to say the independent producer. I think Australia definitely doesn't rate the need um, and give the financial support to the people who are working behind the scenes to make the comedians thrive. What do you think is the biggest problem with the Australian festival circuit and how would you go about solving it? It's so far away. I think that's the biggest problem. Um, Adelaide and, and you know, the whole Australian circuit is so far away from Europe and it is so, the distance in Australia is so massive. It's just, it's not like going from Brighton to Edinburgh. Um, you know, getting from Perth to Adelaide to Melbourne is such a, a big distance. Um, I can't solve that problem, but I think that's its biggest challenge. Okay, and if there's one bit of advice you want to give to a few thousand comedians who are going to listen to this uh, for their first try to come out to Adelaide to take part in the festival, what would you say is the one bit of advice they definitely need to know? Talk to us. <laughs> Absolutely call Artist Services, send us emails, find the resources. Annoy us, annoy us. Uh, annoy us. <laughs> Never think that we don't want you to talk to us. We are there, we are built. There's a team of five people all in Artist Services that are specifically there to answer every thought you've ever had about why you should or shouldn't do Adelaide Fringe. So the biggest mistake you can make is trying to do it on your own. So if so if, if you're a performer and they've emailed you and they haven't heard back, they're not bugging you if they email again or if they follow up the email, it's, it's you actually want them to do that? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And I'd almost go as far as to say, having only worked with this team for a short period of time, I would be very surprised if that email went unanswered. Okay. It's, um, it's, it's one of the most thorough teams I've ever had the privilege of working on and their attention to detail and support for the artists is absolutely paramount. Great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. That was Jo. As she said, her job at the Edinburgh Fringe was to talk up the Adelaide Festival. And I felt like she did that really well. I want to go, to be honest. Um, if funds were possible, I would. It sounds amazing. And it's a totally different way of operating to some of the other places I've been to around the UK. Thanks for coming on, Jo, if you're listening. And if you wanted to say this to her directly or to the team, please tweet the Adelaide Fringe or her directly. All the links are in my show notes. And it helps out the show as well, because it means that when I talk to them in the future, they know people are listening. They know there is an appreciative community who care about these subjects. So if you can, and also it's nice. 
Forget about the things that help this show. It's just nice to take a minute and you say, you know what, that person who gave Simon two hours of their time to come and sit down, and he and him who spent ages editing it down to an hour, you know what, I'm going to say thanks. I'm going to pay it forward and do something nice for that person. So if you want to do that, please do. Special thanks to JD Henshaw and the Sweets Venue team who gave us a quiet room to record this in very early in the morning during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2017. Quick plug, as this goes live, I am on a flight back from Ireland uh, to do some tour dates. Uh, In a week, I'll be in Dover. Do I have any listeners in Dover? I'll check my analytics. I have a few downloads there. So if you live near or in Dover and you want to support me, please do. Uh, bringing laughter is the best placebo my second solo show to your city i'd love to meet some more podcast listeners while i'm down there um, all the details are on my website got a few more tour dates around the country so if you're not in dover don't feel like you're being left out so please do come and support me if you can if you're new here please do hit the subscribe button if you're old here please do consider giving us an honest review in itunes and either way if you'd like to give a donation just to keep the show going Um, This show lives or dies on donations and the support of the community of the listeners. So if you have one pound to say thank you for this episode, just a pound, I'd massively appreciate it. If everyone did it, we would be somewhere towards getting breaking even. So if you can't afford it, don't donate. If you can, if you can spare a pound and it's just sitting in your PayPal doing nothing, send it my way. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Uh, SimonKane.co.uk Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating. And thank you very much for sharing if you do. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. If you'd like to contact me about anything related to the show, you can tweet me at thismademecool or email me simon.m.caine at gmail.com. And I'll see you all in about 14 days' time. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.